You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Ukraine's defense intelligence warns of coming Russian cyber attacks against infrastructure. What are the next moves for Lapsus? We know it's a bear market, but take a look at your wallet, crypto speculators. Mr. Security Answer Person John Pescatori on next year's most overhyped term. Ben Yellen explains a $35 million data privacy settlement. And finally, developments in the Optus breach. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. The Ukrainian Defense Intelligence Service warned yesterday that the Kremlin is planning to carry out massive cyber attacks on the critical infrastructure facilities of Ukrainian enterprises and critical infrastructure institutions of Ukraine's allies. The GRU added, First of all, attacks will be aimed at enterprises of the energy sector. The experience of cyber attacks on Ukraine's energy systems in 2015 and 2016 will be used when conducting operations. Their estimate concludes that the cyber attacks will be a combat support operation intended to augment the effects of kinetic strikes. They state, By the cyber attacks, the enemy will try to increase the effect of missile strikes on electricity supply facilities, primarily in the eastern and southern regions of Ukraine. The occupying command is convinced that this will slow down the offensive operations of the Ukrainian defense forces. And Ukrainian allies, especially Poland and the Baltic states, are warned to expect further distributed denial-of-service attacks. Ukraine has said, and outside security experts tend to agree, that the country learned from the 2015 and 2016 cyber attacks against its power grid. Ars Technica notes the ways in which CERT-UA and its partners appear to have avoided a repeat of those attacks— It seems that a massive takedown of that grid has since become markedly more difficult and considerably less likely than it was in the middle of the last decade. Russian cyber operations have underperformed international expectations during the present war. Their most marked success, the takedown of the Viaset network in the early hours of the invasion, 
now seems retrospectively to have been less consequential than initially believed. Services were indeed crippled, but the target selection in this case seems to have been wayward. The evident intent was to degrade Ukrainian command and control, but Ukrainian forces used the satellite network only as a backup, and its disruption didn't have any significant impact on military communications, Zero Day reports. After the high-profile incidents at Uber and Rockstar Games, the Lapsus Group seems again to have been disrupted by an arrest, but it's unlikely we've seen and heard the last of them. Digital Shadows offer some speculation about where the group may be headed next. Researchers at Digital Shadows have published a report looking at the possible next moves for Lapsus. The group tends to carry out a combination of hacktivist and financially motivated crimes— although their tactics are generally opportunistic. The researchers say, if reports are to be believed, then many of the culprits for the recent attacks may receive law enforcement attention. One 17-year-old in London has already been arrested, which is likely related to the incidents involving Uber or Rockstar Games. It is realistically possible that this arrest may have a similar impact to what we saw in March. Lapsus may go underground for a period in reaction to increased media and law enforcement scrutiny. There are also signs of an incipient but growing connection between the Lapsus group and ransomware gangs, notably Yan Lo Wang. Digital Shadows points out, within the attack against Cisco, Lapsus were also attributed with activity that is consistent with pre-ransomware deployment activity. As cryptocurrency assets remain in a bear market, many speculators are reluctant to look at their accounts. It's just too depressing. Scammers have been exploiting that inattention to run cash-out scams against account holders. SIFT has published a report finding that cybercriminals are targeting neglected cryptocurrency accounts amidst the drop in cryptocurrency's value over the past few months, stating, As cryptocurrency prices have plummeted in recent months, SIFT's trust and safety architects uncovered a new scam targeting crypto account holders, stating, In this crypto cash-out scam, one fraudster who is looking to launder stolen funds solicits the help of another fraudster who has successfully taken over connected bank accounts and crypto wallets. Once they team up, the cyber criminals load the stolen funds into the hijacked bank account and then into the corresponding stolen crypto wallet before draining the funds and splitting the profits. Brittany Allen, trust and safety architect at SIFT, said, Account takeover attacks are proving to be a primary attack method among fraudsters in our challenging economic environment. Adding insult to injury, cyber criminals are leveraging automation via bots and scripts to match ATO attacks at scale, often forcing businesses to choose between introducing excessive friction in their user experience or being consumed by fraud. So, as painful as it may be, take a look at your wallets every now and then. And finally, investigation of the breach suffered by Optus in Australia continues. The U.S. FBI is rendering assistance to the Australian Federal Police. Australia's Minister for Home Affairs and Cybersecurity called the attack quite a basic hack and criticized the telco for permitting it to happen, the record says. For their part, the criminals have sought to increase the pressure on those being extorted by releasing some of the data taken, ABC reports. The hackers are also presenting some of the Robin Hood shtick 
sometimes seen in other double extortion incidents, saying, Sorry to 10,200 Australian whose data was leaked. It's not quite shadow speak, but if you could see the spelling, you'd call it, well, shadow writing. Whoever you are, sir, Robin Hood, you ain't. They spelled better in Sherwood Forest. Coming up after the break, Mr. Security Answer Person John Pescatori on next year's most overhyped term. Ben Yellen explains a $35 million data privacy settlement. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There is no shortage of hype in cybersecurity when the marketing and PR folks get their hands on everything. In this edition of Mr. Security Answer Person, John Pescatori takes a look at what just might be next year's most overhyped term. Security Answer Person. Security Answer Person. Hi, I'm John Pescatori, Mr. Security Answer Person. Our question for today's episode, I just listened to the segment where you talked about how overhyped the term zero trust is. Can you give us a prediction of what you think will be next year's most overhyped term? Well, I promise I'll get back to your actual question, but first I'm going to answer a slightly modified version. What do I think should be the most hyped-up term in cybersecurity in 2023? Last year, my daughter had her first child, our first grandson, and no surprise, he turned their lives upside down. I started calling him Chaos Monkey 
after a cool piece of testing software that Netflix developed and describes this way. Chaos Monkey randomly terminates virtual machine instances and containers that run inside of your production environment. Now here's the important part of the quote. Exposing engineers to failures more frequently incentivizes them to build resilient services, end quote. Kind of like exposing dinks, dual-income, no-kids couples, to their first baby does. Chaos Monkey is just one of the tools in a collection Netflix calls the Simeon Army. A lot of this grew out of chaos engineering work Peter Deutsch at Sun and others did, where they defined the eight fallacies that developers in the early days of Internet software assumed were true of distributed computing over the Internet. The eight fallacies are, one, the network is reliable, two, there is zero latency, three, bandwidth is infinite, four, the network is secure, five, topology never changes, six, there is one administrator, seven, transport cost is zero, eight, the network is homogenous. Too often, some or all of those eight fallacies are still taken as gospel when developers write code today, even using fancy new DevOps methodologies. All of this reminds me of when I used to drive an old car that broke down a lot, so I carried a lot of spare parts and tools and often planned my trips so that I'd always be in range of help if the inevitable failure occurred. Cars have actually gotten a lot more reliable over the years, but software really has not. Of course, Mr. Security Answer Person's focus is mostly on fallacy number four, the network is secure? Here, the network means the entire internet, as in all the connecting paths and all the endpoints. So even if transport security is always running, as in SSL everywhere or over IPsec, we know many of the endpoints will never be secure because they're running software and most endpoints are being used or being administered by people. Software and people are soft and squishy and don't get harder very fast. So I think chaos security should be the new buzzword, and CISOs should be called chief chaos safety officers or something like that. I've kind of become convinced that chaos can be navigated safely, but chaos can never be made secure. Realistically, though, I doubt we are ready to admit all that yet. With that off my chest, let me answer your original question, which brings me back to the second line in Peter Deutsch's quote. Exposing engineers to failures more frequently incentivizes them to build resilient services. Resiliency popped up on the cybersecurity buzzword radar screen years ago, but it is definitely on the rise. An example is supply chain resiliency vendor Interos and the Resiliency Operations Center, or ROC concept, around maintaining a secure, reliable, and yes, resilient supply chain. We have certainly seen the impact of near chaos in supply chains the past few years, as well as a definite lack of both resiliency and security. With wars and pandemics and climate change all hitting the world all at once, resiliency is actually a pretty lofty goal. I'm looking forward to broad adoption of resiliency development, maybe we'll call it ResDev SecOps, resilient data, and yes, even resilient trust architectures. Thanks for listening. I'm John Pescatori, Mr. Security Answer Person. Security Answer Person. Mr. Security Answer Person with John Pescatori airs the last Tuesday of each month right here on the CyberWire. Send your questions for Mr. Security Answer Person to questions at thecyberwire.com.
And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, Interesting story. This is uh, from the Wall Street Journal, uh, written by Dave Michaels. Uh, And it is about uh, the good folks over at Morgan Stanley uh, paying 35 million bucks to settle claims of failing to protect customer records. What's going on here, Ben? So there is a federal regulation that requires brokers and money managers like Morgan Stanley to protect the security and confidentiality of customer records. So we don't have a comprehensive data privacy law in this country, uh, at least at the time that we're recording this. Um, So we have this sort of patchwork that applies in various industries. HIPAA applies when we're talking about uh, healthcare and covered entities. The SEC has promulgated regulations as it applies to these brokers and money managers. So what happened with Morgan Stanley is allegedly it scrapped computer servers and hard drives without ensuring that they no longer held sensitive customer information. And they resold those servers and hard drives with customer data still on it. Oops. Uh, yeah, so that's a big problem. Um, <laughs> right. So it's the role of the SEC to impose fines for a variety of purposes. The first is to pay monetary damages to individuals who have, who have suffered harm. Mm. Um, and that's part of this $35 million, uh, that that's been imposed here. But the other part is to send a message to Morgan Stanley that— this type of improper safeguarding of sensitive customer data is unacceptable, and we will bring the full force of Uncle Sam down on you if you uh, don't do your due diligence. Hmm. So $35 million is uh, a lot of money. Uh, it's going to be a very steep penalty, probably one of the largest we've seen for uh, what they refer to in this article as a record-keeping misstep. The three previous fines levied by the SEC on financial firms for this type of violation were much smaller fines, only in the amount of about $300,000 or so. Hmm. Um, So we're talking about multiplying that, what is that, a hundredfold? Yeah. I'm not so great at math. um, but (laughs) I believe that an order of magnitude is the term of art. (laughs) Exactly. We'll we'll go with that. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, I think from Morgan Stanley's perspective, um, they're a big company. They're probably going to be fine. they are going to pay the fine and be relieved of the obligations of this investigation. Uh, right. Which has been they're, ha- they're admitting no wrong here, uh, worth noting, I suppose. They are not admitting any wrong. <laughs> they're just paying. It's sort of how I feel about when I get caught by one of those speed cameras. Right. Where <laughs> I'm probably not going to be able to challenge this. I yeah. could certainly argue that maybe I wasn't going 45 and a 30, but it's not worth it for me to, to go to court on this. Mm. So— Uh, They're going to pay the fine. They say that they've notified all of their applicable clients about what happened. Um, They say this is something that happened in the past. They've been much better over uh, over recent history about detecting and protecting against unauthorized access to personal client information. And so from their perspective, and I think from the government's perspective, this matter has been resolved. Yeah. It's interesting. This article points out that— they, the SEC claims that Morgan Stanley lost track of 42 computer servers that potentially contained unencrypted customer data, which it sounds like were uh, in field offices, you know, not at, not at Morgan Stanley headquarters, but out in the offices they have around the country. And it's easy to imagine a scenario where, you know, the IT folks come in to upgrade the server and transfer all the data over, and now you got this pile of old servers and... 
what are you going to do with them? Well, you know, maybe Bob will take put them on Craigslist or exactly. <laughs> you, know, like, who, you know, who knows? But uh, it's easy to sell them. Uh, right. I mean, you probably just don't think about the inherent risks of there being confidential customer information on them. Yeah. If it's just one piece of hardware in an office, but when you multiply this by a large magnitude, we're talking about forty different devices uh, or servers. Then that becomes a a pretty big problem, and it feels more like a pattern in practice than just an isolated incident. Um, it seems like they just had been somewhat negligent in how they dealt with those outdated servers and that outdated hardware. Yeah, I think this is a really good reminder for folks who are tasked with these sorts of things. That because I've seen several cases over the years where a piece of hardware gets decommissioned um, and then it just kind of gets forgotten about. It sits on a shelf maybe for years. And then at some point somebody says, oh, what are we doing with all these, you know, these servers that are on that shelf? And says, I don't know. Just, you know, tell you what, Bob, go out back, just, you know, toss them in the dumpster. No one will ever know. What you got to do is go full office space on them. <laughs> Take them to a field with a baseball bat. Yep. And just whack them and yep. get some good music playing in the background too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a a solid plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. 
Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.